And now if you would turn uh, there to the passage, 1 John, uh, that I've asked you to turn there, chapter 1. You know, I'm very grateful for all the ministries the Lord has raised up here at the church. Uh, and uh, many of these have to do with outreach to our community, as you're aware. And I am continue to be so grateful for the ministry of ESL, English as a Second Language. What an incredible outreach ministry to the international friends that are in our community. Uh, just uh, amazing. And I'm very thankful for the leadership in that ministry. But I've often thought... How challenging it must be from, for someone from another culture or language to learn American English. American English. I mean the, the true English, okay? American English. Maybe you've heard that, you know, Americans and Britons are, are a people divided by a common language. All right. And... Uh, so why is, why is it challenging to learn American English? Because we have so many of these colloquialisms. We have so many of these phrases that are just in our culture. But when you look at the words on the paper, they, they don't really make sense. And sometimes they're actually like opposites. We call those oxymorons, things that you say that they seem to be completely in conflict, but everybody understands what you're meaning. Well, you can imagine learning a language that says something like this. Well, that's an open secret. <laughs> that's an open secret. Or how about this? Act naturally. <laughs> Act naturally. Or, or a deafening silence. There was a deafening silence. Or, that is seriously funny. <laughs> That's seriously funny. And you know, some of these, some of these uh, statements, these oxymorons in American English, they are seriously funny. They're seriously funny. When you think about them, how about this? That person is clearly confused <laughs> clearly confused. Or, you can have the larger half. Why, sure. And then sometimes we just have, you know, things like Microsoft Works, okay? You know, so, oh, oh easy, 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 okay. I threw that one in myself there, okay. How about this one? Reality television. Oh, yeah. That's seriously funny. <laughs> that is not reality. <laughs> reality television. My friends, matter of fact, most of television is not reality. A lot that we hear in the media is not reality. A lot about our whole culture and focus more and more. It's not about reality. So the question is this, what is, what is reality? What is reality? And friends, I want you to know, listen carefully, that is why 1 John was written, to answer the question, what is reality? What is reality? 
So what we're going to do is make this journey through 1 John. We're going to find out, as you see there on the front of your bulletin, that there are timeless truths here about what reality really is. Reality. Now, let's ask some basic questions. You know, when you begin to do a series through a book of the New Testament, sometimes it's, it's important to stop and say, well, why was this letter written? How, how did this letter get written? What was taking place so that a man picked up a quill and ink and a scroll and started to write this message? What was prompting him to do that? And so it's important that we get background here and understand because I think it'll also help us, it is going to show this, us that this is completely up to date. Now, why was this book written? Why was this letter written? And there's many ways to express that. But basically, this is the reason you'll see as we go through the book. It's the timeless importance of living in reality. Living, <clears throat> excuse me, living in reality. God doesn't want us living a false reality. God wants us to live a life that is real, not make-believe. And not, being spiritual doesn't mean being weird. That God's not called us to be the odd-for-God squad. Reality, what is reality? Well, how many of you know reality is often the things you cannot see, but they're not make-believe, they're real. And the Spirit makes them real to your heart and life. The timeless importance of living reality. God wants His people on this earth focused on what's real. What's real. So what is this message? It's about the ultimate reality. The ultimate reality. He wants us to understand the ultimate reality of two things. The ultimate reality regarding our Savior. He wants us to know Jesus is real. Is Jesus real? Is Jesus just a historical figure from the past? Is is Jesus just a myth? Is, is Jesus a man who did good, said good, accomplished a lot of good, and, and it's all messed up since then? Is, or is Jesus real? What's the reality regarding our Savior? And then it's about the re reality regarding our salvation. Listen carefully. God wants us to know that we are real. Our faith is real. That we're not self-deceived. That we are genuine. Notice, I asked you to be in chapter 1, but just look, flip over to chapter 5. It's wonderful about the writer here, John, as we'll see. He tells us why he wrote the letter. He says, I want you to know this. Verse number 13 of chapter 5. I am writing these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, what's the next word? Know that you have eternal life. This book was written so people who profess faith in Jesus Christ can know 
know as reality that they are his. He wants us to know that. God doesn't want us to be in doubt. He wants us to have a no-so salvation. Now, as you read this book and God's talking about reality, that's the reason the word no, the word no is used 49 times. 49 times the word no is used in these five chapters. 49 times. What, what does he want us to know? He wants us to know truth. God is truth. To know is to know truth. The Lord wants us to know truth. And God is truth. That's what he wants us to know. And there's only one word that's used more than know in this book. You know what that word is? It's the word love. 51 times the word love is used in this epistle. That's the reason it's called the epistle of love. Because what does God want us to know? That he is love. There's reality. God is truth. And God is love. This is reality. Truth and love. And that's the reason our series, you'll notice in front of the bulletin, our series is Truth and Love, the timeless message of 1 John. Truth and love, that's the ultimate reality, that we would live lives of truth, guided by God and know by experience His love. Now that's living. That's what God wants. Now who wrote this book? By whom? Well, he never names himself. He doesn't name himself because he doesn't have to. Everybody is aware uh, in, in the first century who this is. He refers to himself in another letter as the elder. And it's understood this is John. John the Apostle wrote this uh, letter. John the Apostle, one of the followers of Jesus wrote this epistle. He wrote five books in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And he also, sometime a few years after this, is going to write the book of the Revelation, the final book, the book of the Revelation. Now, what do we know about John? You know what we know about John from reading about the Gospels of Jesus' life? We know he's called one of the sons of thunder. He has a brother, James. James and John, and they're called the sons of thunder. Jesus nicknamed them Boandrines. Because at times, they get so worked up, they wanted to call fire down on people. I mean, they're emotional people, James and John. They're, they're emotional people, but they're also, John's a very tender man. He's a man who's emotional, but he's a tender man, so tender that at the Lord's Supper, he puts his head on Jesus' chest. He's called in the Gospels, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it doesn't mean he didn't love his other disciples, but it means there was something special here between Jesus and this one. How special was it? I will tell you how special it was. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he looked down and saw his mother and John standing next to her. And he said, woman, 
Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. This man was so close to Jesus that Jesus in his dying moments said, John, you take care of my mother. And according to church records and history, he did. For the rest of Mary's life, John cared for her. Now, to whom is he writing? Well, he's writing about 50 years after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. He's he's writing in the latter part of the first century. And he's writing specifically to the churches of Asia Minor or modern day Turkey. If you can think of that in your mind, the map there. He's, He's writing to those great churches in Asia Minor where he himself has been one of the leading pastors because John became the presiding pastor of the church of Ephesus. And for years, he oversaw the ministry around Ephesus. And so he's writing to those churches, but he's also writing by God's Holy Spirit to the churches of all the ages. He's writing to us today. So... He writes this probably around the mid-80s A.D., 50 years or so after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And it's interesting, as we go through this book, you're going to see that John uses the simplest vocabulary. The simplest vocabulary in the New Testament is 1 John. As a matter of fact, if you take a class in New Testament Greek, the first Book of the New Testament, they're going to let you get into your second semester or so. You're going to start reading 1 John. Why? Because John uses the simplest vocabulary to communicate the most profound truths. He's going to talk about love and light. He's going to talk about those truths. He's going to talk in in very simple terms, but very profound truths. Now, you'll also find something else. If you've ever tried to do this, it's, it's hard to outline this letter. It's hard to outline the, the epistle of John. You know, if you read the apostle Paul, you read his epistles, it's like Paul's so logical and sequential. He makes a point, then boom, 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 he proves it. He makes another point, boom, 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 he proves it. But John's not like that. No, John takes these themes and he he doesn't outline them. He just wraps them through his story as he tells the story and as he's speaking. These big themes just wrap through everything that he has to say about truth and love. So that's sort of the background. And notice, John just starts. He just just dives in. Talking about this ultimate revelation. This ultimate revelation. Now notice here, verse 1. John just starts. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. John's talking about a great revelation. He's talking about the ultimate revelation. 
What is the ultimate revelation? He's going to work this out through his letter, but he says this is the ultimate revelation of mankind's human existence. It's the revelation of God in Christ. The revelation of God in Christ. That God has been revealed in human form and flesh in the man Christ Jesus. That's the revelation. And he uses, you notice, he uses four big words. I told you he uses simple words, but they're big words. What are they? Look look at some of these. Now here's what I want to ask you to do. You, You hear it first, John. Turn back if you would. Keep your hand there. And I want you to go to John chapter 1. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to flip back and forth. Because you're going to see John uses the same words in 1 John that he uses in the Gospels, John. He opens 1 John just the way he did the Gospel, John. And we're going to flip back and forth. And if you've if you got your Bible, you can do this pretty easily. And if you don't, you've got a device. I'm just going to say to you, na 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 boo boo Okay. This <laughs> one. Okay. All right. All right. I know there's probably an app for that. Okay, don't send me anything. Okay. Notice the big words. The big word, beginning. Do you see the big word? That which was from the beginning. How does John start the gospel of John? 1-1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Now, in the gospel of John, he's talking about the beginning of eternity. (laughs) Talk about an oxymoron. The beginning of eternity was God. But here in 1 John, when he says, in the beginning, that which was from the beginning, he's not talking about the beginning of eternity. He's talking about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. When Jesus was manifested, when he was revealed, when did that happen? When he was baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit descended on him and the voice of the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all together. And guess who was there on the riverbank that day? John. And sometime later when Jesus came back after the wilderness experience... John the Baptist said to Jesus, said of Jesus, Behold, what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And guess what? Immediately they heard John say that, John the Baptist, and two disciples go, Hey, Lord, uh, where are you staying? Who was one of those men? John. From the beginning. From the beginning, he says, I was there. From the very beginning. And I'm telling you what. The word was made manifest. The word of life was revealed. This word of life. See how it refers to the word of life in verse 1, 1 John? Well, look back. What does, how does he begin John? How did he begin his gospel? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, this term word here that John uses, you, many of you know it, it's logos. Logos. 
It was a word in classical Greek and in New Testament Greek that com- it communicated the idea, the Greek idea, that there was a mind behind all created things. That there was a wisdom behind all living things. And they called this wisdom, they called it the logos. And John takes that and says, I tell you, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos, that mind, was God, and he calls him the Word. God is the Logos. He's communicating himself. What does that mean about God? Listen up, church. It means God is a communicating God. God wants you to know him and what he wants you to do. God's not playing hide and seek. He is the word. He's the God who speaks. John says from the beginning was manifested the word. And notice he said third important word, the life, the word of life, the source of life of all things. Again, turn back to the Gospel of John. How did John begin his Gospel? He says, there was the Word, the Word was with God. And look at verse 4. In Him, that is in the Word, was what? Life. In Him was life. John 1, 4. And the life was the light of men. In Him was life. This life force This mind is in the Word, and the Word is God. And this God, life force, was what? Look at verse 2, fourth big word, manifested. The life was made manifest. Notice the end of verse 2, the life was made manifested to us. The word manifest here means to reveal something that's been a secret. Something that could not be known and understood. Things that no one else could have figured out, but now they've been revealed. And that's what he's saying. This God, who is the eternal word, and life is in this God, he has made himself known. He has made himself known. And he's not talking about something. He's talking about someone. He's talking about this eternal life-giving word that is personally expressed in Jesus Christ. How do we know that? He says, listen to this. He says, I'm telling you, verse number two, verse one rather, we have heard him. We have seen him with our eyes. We have looked upon him. We have touched. That means touch means we have felt him. This life, the word. We have literally seen and heard. We have gazed upon him and we have embraced him in our arms. That's what he's saying. Now, why is, G- why is he doing this? You say, why, John, why are you saying this? What is making John talk this way in his 80s? What, why is he 
talking this way? Two reasons. A false teaching and a false teacher. He has to pick up the the quill. He has to get the scroll out. He has to get the ink. There is terrible, terrible danger in the church. False teaching and a false teacher. And he's got to address it even though he's in his latter years. What's the false teaching he's going to address? It's called Gnosticism. Gnosticism, which is a word for gnosis. What was, what was Gnosticism? Gnosticism, listen carefully, was a false teaching that came out of pagan religion of Rome and Greece and the mystery religions of Egypt. It existed for centuries and it started, people started bringing its teachings into the teachings of the church and trying to meld them together. Now, here's five things that Gnosticism taught. Bear with me here. Stay with me just for a moment. You're going to see why we need to read this book. Gnosticism taught, first of all, the possibility of enlightenment enlightenment to secret knowledge. That there was secret knowledge of the universe and you could be enlightened to that. Number two, Gnosticism taught that there was a life force in the universe and that this life force permeated everything. There's a light side and there's a dark side that's taught in Gnosticism. And out of this life force became this understanding, listen carefully, of what is called dualism. Let's divide existence into spiritual and material. And they have nothing to do with each other. All that's good is the spiritual, the material world, your body, all the material world. It's meaningless. All that matters is the spiritual Only the spirit is important. And matter, like the body, is inconsequential. Do what you want with the body. It doesn't matter because it's only the spirit that matters. Fourth thing Gnosticism taught. Salvation is liberating your spirit. It's liberating your spirit from this natural world so that you live on a higher plane of knowledge. It's a liberation from this natural world, even out of your own body, to living in a new reality. And number five, listen carefully. Gnosticism taught that salvation is accomplished. Salvation of your spirit is accomplished by spiritual progression into further enlightenment as you are taught by masters of the secret knowledge. Now, I call this Star Wars theology. (laughs) I'm I'm not saying anything about Star Wars. But what I want you to know... Behind the the amazing lights and sound effects and storyline of Star Wars, there is this communication of a life force 
good and evil, and that the Jedi masters can lead you to liberation in a higher plane than anybody else, and so that you have power and understanding. Other people don't have secret knowledge to improve yourself. This is exactly what Gnosticism taught 2,000 years ago and beyond. And this made its way into the church by false teachers. The leader of whom in Ephesus was a man by the name of Serenthus. Serenthus. He had been and was an elder in the church. He was an elder. This is a historical character. He had been an elder in the church. And he began to teach this kind of Gnosticism. But listen to what he taught. He, here was his form of it. Because he embraces Jesus. He embraces Jesus. But he's also embracing this philosophy of the world. And here's what he comes to in his teaching. The Word is the Christ Spirit. And the Christ Spirit came into the man, Jesus, of Nazareth at his baptism. And for three and a half years, there was on earth the Christ Spirit, the connection to the light, the life force, walked on the earth and taught in the form of the man Jesus of Nazareth. But when the man Jesus of Nazareth was dying on the cross and said, I give to you my spirit, Father, the spirit of the Christ left this man Jesus and the body of the historical Jesus of Nazareth was placed in the tomb. And yes, there was a miracle of his resurrection, but that's not what the, it's all about. It's not about Jesus. It's not about this man's body, Jesus. It's about the Christ spirit that was in Jesus and how you connect to the Christ spirit that was in Jesus. So what's happening in a very slick packaging, this man who has been an elder in one of the greatest churches in the Roman Empire has become a heretic and he's denying the deity of Jesus Christ. He's denying the humanity of Jesus. He's denying that there is salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ and his his offering on the cross, he's saying, no, 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 you've missed it all. Jesus was a great teacher, but it was because he had the Christ spirit in him. And people have made a new Jesus. He's not, that's not what is about. It's the, you need to connect with the spirit of Christ that was in the man Jesus. The apostle Paul said this was going to happen. Not specifically. 20 years earlier, Paul called the elders of the church of Ephesus to meet him in Miletus. We read about it in Acts 20. We won't turn there. And here's what Paul said. He said, I warn you. He said, I warn you that after my departure, fierce wolves 
are going to enter the flock. They're going to steer many people away and from among your own selves. Not from the outside, but from the inside, there will come up these false teachers who are really wolves and they will teach twisted things. That's exactly now, 20, 25 years later, what John is addressing. Friends, what do we, what's the timeless truth we learn here? Listen carefully, church. Where do cults come from? Cults come out of the church. They come up from within the church by ones who look like sheep, sound like sheep, but in their spirit they're ravening wolves and they're teaching twisted doctrine. So how do you discern a cult? Here's what we're going to find out. How do you discern if the person standing on your doorstep is from a cult or not? How do you know if somebody says, hey, I want to give you a piece of literature, whether that's a cult or not? How do you know if someone wants to talk to you about their philosophy, whether they are a part of a cult or not? How do you know? How do you know? What book do you read? You don't have to read a book. Well, what kind of class do you have to take? Don't have to take a class. What, what, well, what do you do? You know what you do? Ask them one question. One question reveals a cult. Here's the question. You ready? Who is Jesus? And then be quiet and listen to the answer. Because a cult will take the name of Jesus and fill the name of Jesus and the man Jesus full of things the man Jesus was not about and he did not come to do, but they will take his name, but they will not teach you that Jesus of Nazareth is the eternal word, the living truth, incarnate life, manifested the only way you can know God. And this God-man who still lives gave his life on the cross For your sins, he was buried and he rose again. He's king of kings and lord of lords and he's the only way. They will not tell you that. They will not tell you that. And and guess what? You don't have to know all kinds of ways to find that out. Just ask them, who's Jesus? And then tell them about the real one. Not the counterfeit. My friend, is this book up to date or what? The ultimate revelation. And then God gives it to us to be the ultimate proclamation. Notice verses 2 and 3 of 1 John. He says, this life was made manifest. We have seen it and we want. Notice these words. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifested to us, revealed to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Notice, what is he saying? Eternal life is a person. Eternal life is this person, Jesus. He is the life, the truth. We have handled him, we've touched him, we've seen him, we heard him. The eternal life is Jesus. Look at chapter 5 
Again, look at chapter 5. What is eternal life? How do, you, how do you have eternal life? What does it mean to be saved, born again? Use whatever phrase you want from the New Testament. What's that all about? John tells us, 1 John 5.11. This is the testimony. <laughs> See, there's the word, a testimony. That God gave us eternal life. How did he give us eternal life? This eternal life is in his son. And whoever has the son has life. And whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. It comes down to this. Got Jesus? This is the message. God has given to us eternal life. And this eternal life is not in a church. This eternal life is not in a dogma or doctrine. This eternal life is in his son. And if you have the son, you have life. And if you don't have the son, you don't have life. Wow, this old man, John, he's kind of dogmatic. Yeah, as dogmatic as truth, but as tender as love. Eternal life is in Jesus. Eternal life is a person. Second thing I see, eternal life is a message. We're to share this. We're to share. What do we share? We share Jesus. That's what John's doing. Look back at chapter 1, verse 1. He says, I've seen him. I know him. I've experienced him. I, I tell you and share with you, this is my story. This is my song. <laughs> friends, it, it, being a witness for Jesus, friends, listen, it's not winning an argument. It's not outsmarting someone. It's not knowing all the answers. Witnessing is just bearing witness of Jesus. It's talking about Jesus. Talking about Jesus, I mean the J word, Jesus. Not, not just God or the good Lord, but just talk about Jesus. I remember this week my mind went back over 50 years ago when I was in junior church. Old Carver McCormick and Charlie Walker, uh, they couldn't lead a song in a bucket. And they had factory under their fingernails, you know what I'm talking about. And they would just beat their big old hammy fingers and tell us to sing. And here's what we'd sing. Let's talk about Jesus. The King of kings is he. The Lord of lords supreme throughout eternity. The great I am the way, the truth, the life, the door. Let's talk about Jesus more and more. For that's 50 years or more ago. I'll say to you moms and dads, granddads, grandmoms, say to you all that are teachers impacting children, you talk about Jesus, they won't forget it. Talk about Jesus to children. Talk about Jesus. You say, well, you know, that's a cute little song, Sam. Let's talk about Jesus. I'm a little more dignified than that. Okay, let's try another one. How about this? Am I a soldier of the cross? A follower of the Lamb, shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Mm 
Friends, let me tell you something. The world's not ashamed of anything. Why should we be ashamed of Jesus? Jesus wasn't ashamed of us. Jesus is the ultimate revelation. He's the ultimate proclamation. And I'm this and I'm done. I'm sorry. I was gone three weeks. <laughs> I'm sorry. Ushers, close the doors, lock them. <laughs> it's the ultimate invitation. The ultimate invitation is to invite people to Jesus. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. There's the next big word. Fellowship, koinonia, shared life. And indeed, our shared life is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. That is eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God in Christ. And we invite you to this fellowship. And we're writing to the, you these things so that our joy may be complete. We, we're going to share this incredible joy as you come and know the Lord that we know. Friends, listen, you don't have to beat people up to talk about Jesus. You're not trying to win an argument again. You're, you're, we're not trying to notch our gospel presentation. We're not trying to manipulate people. We're inviting people to the greatest life they could ever know. And the greatest fellowship. We baptized in the first service, dear brother from Korea. And he, Dong He Ko. And he always said back to me as we were being prepared, he said, Pastor Sam, you know, this is a loving people. This is a loving people. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, Jesus said. What? If you have love one to another. Here's these applications. Number one, I want to say a word to seniors here. When I say seniors, I mean senior adults. When does senior adulthood start? When's that start? Well, it's official. It's older than 63. Okay, it's older than 63. <laughs> Last year, it used to be 62. They've moved it up. <laughs> listen, senior adults, listen. John wrote the Gospel of John in his 70s. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in his 70s and 80s. And he wrote, well, he retired in his mid-80s to an island in the Mediterranean <laughs> called Patmos, where in a cave as he slave labored, he wrote what he got in a vision called the Book of the Revelation. <laughs> I want to tell you something, seniors, no matter where we are, it's not quitting time. And we never retire from serving Jesus Christ. Never, never. I want to say a word to the sensitive. You say, you know, I'm a, I'm a sensitive person. So was John. But I still want to say to you, sensitive people, shy people, introverts, listen, speak the truth. In love, but tell people the truth. It's not a hateful thing to tell people the truth. I want to say a word and let me be polite here to the straightforward. <laughs> That's being polite. <laughs> well, people say, oh, I'm a, I'm a truth speaker. I'm a truth speaker. I tell them. 
Well, I want to say to you, friends, speak the truth in love. And if you can't say it in love, then do what my mom used to say, just hush up. Don't use a sledgehammer when a tacking hammer will do the job. It's not a spiritual gift to be rude. And I want to say to seekers here this morning. Some of you here, you're not sure. You're not convinced. You wonder if there is reality. If there is truth. You wonder about Christianity, religion. You're just not sure. I want to tell you, that's fine. That's wonderful. God's all about that. But I want to tell you, the ultimate answer is the ultimate reality, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. You say, well, I, you know, I'm not, that's exactly what I'm not sure about. I'm not, I'm not sure about Christianity. I'm not sure about all that. I didn't say anything about Christianity. I said, Jesus is the ultimate reality. You say, well, I'm a little bit agnostic. I think I might be an atheist. I'm just a seeker. Well, if you're a seeker, I gotta, I'm going to dare you. Talk to Jesus. Matter of fact, I double-dog dare you. <laughs> Talk to Jesus. You say, what do you mean? Somewhere, someplace where people won't think you've lost your ever-loving mind. Talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, if you're real, I mean it. You know, I mean it. If you are real, if you are who the Bible says you are, will you show me that? <laughs> and I would say, get ready. Get ready. Jesus is real. And that's where our assurance is. Oh, dear friend, he that has the Son has life. Real life. Life now and life forever. I want you to bow your heads and know where. I want to just pray over you and as a pianist plays. And I thank you for I thank you for your patience. I thank you for understanding. Your long-winded pastor's been off three weeks. You're kind and gracious people. But please listen. Talk to Jesus. Talk to Jesus. Tell him. Talk to him. Whatever is going on, wherever you are, talk to Jesus. If you seek him, you will find him. He is the answer. He is the reality. He's real, so real. Talk to Jesus. Father, I pray to you and I thank you for the great revelation of the truth of eternity of God in Christ oh Lord we can't wrap our minds around it our minds are, are spinning as we think about it. oh Lord I confess to you I don't know and understand a portion of what I've preached this morning but I know you and I know this is truth and I know the truth is in Jesus and I long for everyone here every person to experience the reality of Jesus wherever they are and in whatever they are in right now, whatever they're seeking. Oh, Lord, it's all an illusion except for Jesus, who is the truth, the life. 
And I pray blessings on this people and those that are seeking you and desire assurance. Oh, Lord, may they cry out to you. You have never turned away those who call upon you by faith. I thank you for what you're going to do now and help us as we go to go in the name of the Lord Jesus. And as we have opportunity, give us boldness and grace to speak of him. And all God's people said, amen, amen.